Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artists. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we're going to talk about creating what you want to create. Words that are both empowering and also can strike fear into the hearts of fledgling <laughs> artists around the world. Well, I wanted to put this podcast together because I wanted to contradict or fight against the idea or the concept because I've seen this in art books and in art videos and things like that where the advice is to create what is popular. And I have a really big problem with that because what's popular is relative, you know, and really at the end of the day, anything that you create is going to have a group of people that are going to be attracted to it. Mm -hmm. What's popular is relative and also changing so fast. Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's a recipe for losing your mind. It is. If you're, <laughs> it's, yeah, because a lot of it is like chasing trends. Like if you're constantly chasing a trend, you know, and then you really establish establish yourself in that trend and then suddenly that trend changes or it just drops off, then, you know, then you're you need to jump on the next trend and the next trend. And you're constantly chasing trends versus just creating your own stuff. And chances are you're going to be ahead of the trend in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And especially if you consistently create your own stuff. And you're putting it out there and more and more people that are like-minded are finding it. And suddenly you become the trendsetter. You're the one that creates something that other people see is popular. And then all of a sudden they jump on that trend. And next thing you know, you start seeing artwork that looks similar to the subject matter and that you're, you're like, creating. And you're like, that's cool, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to, during this podcast, make the distinction between following trends and listening to feedback along your artistic yeah. journey in finding your voice because they're very different things. Yeah. Um, cause you're not, you're, you are creating in a bubble, but you're not creating in a bubble at the same time. Exactly. And feedback can be incredibly useful along your journey. Exactly. And I, one of the things that I really, really want to cover in a future podcast and video is finding your artistic voice. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think that there's a lot of uh, dogma or not dogma, but like mythos around the idea of finding your voice. Yeah. You know, and I think that we want to demystify that in a future video. But what we're going to demystify here is the idea of what you create and understanding that in the beginning, I know this because I experienced this and this is a question that we've gotten from a lot of artists. In the beginning, there's this part of your brain that kind of clicks on this question of like, what what kind of thing is popular? What kind of art sells, right? And you start looking at the different niches that are out there like, you know, will nude painting sell more or are abstracts really popular? You know, and it's funny because... When it comes to those people that tell you what's popular and what sells, all of them have a different answer. Yeah, they'd be like, hands are so lucrative right hands now. Hands are extremely lucrative. I mean, you that's why you got to learn how to paint hands so you can make <laughs> all the money. <laughs> I'm just going to slip that joke into like every piece of content we put out from now on. And by the way, you guys, if you're listening to this, we have our amazing Rogue Artist family here with us. So if you hear us reading comments, that's who we're reading the comments from. Um, it's artists from all around the world and they just make 
these podcasts so much more succinct, so much more interesting uh, because they bring in their perspectives, their questions, and just make the conversation whole, I feel. So, yeah. So thanks for being here, you guys. Uh, Zara says, if someone actually wants a trendy piece, then get it as a commission. At least it's almost 100% sold and they really even want a trend painting. I mean, I agree with that. Like, But at the same time, I would say if it's something that you already enjoy doing, because I've been approached by a lot of people that, you know, for example, when I was in Pensacola, they wanted the touristy, like the Pensacola beach ball and, you know, a lot of sea things. And what ended up happening was I, because I would take on a commission, you start to get whatever commissions you work on, you start to get popular for that commission, right? So, you either create all these things and then word of mouth travels. And then next thing you know, you're creating commissions. You're, the commissions that you're working on are things that you don't enjoy doing. So when I would get approached for a commission like that, I would let the artist, the person that was commissioning me know, well, I don't do that type of art, but I do. For example, I did a lot of abstracts of the ocean because what I enjoyed was the feeling and the look of the ocean. So I'd create abstracts mm -hmm. of of that. And I would show them, you know, some of the work that I did. This is really what I do. But if you want, like, the Pensacola Beach Ball or something, I know plenty of other artists that I could recommend you to and that kind of thing. Um, I really don't recommend, you know, and, and this is something that you got to take with a grain of salt. I was very not, I, I did not, unless a commission interested me, then no. Right. So like if it's in the realm of your wheelhouse and it's like a challenging, fascinating project, then it's like, yeah. But if it's like not you at all, then it's really um, better to just send somebody yeah, elsewhere. Because you got to realize you have a limited you have a limited amount of time where you're going to be working on art and you really want to establish yourself uh, working in the stuff that you really want to work in, mm -hmm. you know, like not like, oh, these are my fun things that I work on. And then there's this bullshit over here. Like you don't want to you don't want to set yourself up in that way because it really it really could uh, dent hit a put a dent in the way you feel in your art studio. And a lot of what we do, the the persistent factor, persistence factor when it comes to being an artist has to do a lot with whether or not you feel like you're working for money or you're working for joy. Mm -hmm. So Zara said, so start with your voice from the get go. But yeah. here, actually, this is an opportune time for me to make this distinction between um, trends and, and feedback. So the phrase create what you want to create feels great to me now, but in the beginning, um, it literally struck fear in my heart. And here's why. In the beginning of my career, I didn't know anything about jewelry. I didn't know what my voice was with jewelry. I didn't know what I wanted to create. And so what I did was I did a lot of emulating things that I saw that I liked. And I did a lot of repair work so that I could learn skills. And I did a lot of commissions. I said yes to a lot of commissions, even though I was scared, boop, every time 
And the thing that scared me the most in the beginning was when somebody would say like, well, I want a piece from you, but just create whatever you want to create. I just want a Klee um, piece of jewelry. And I would be like, like the camera would zoom out, my eyes would get huge, and like you would see the entirety of the universe around me in this simulation. Like too many, too many options, right? Because I don't even know what I want to create yet. And so while I would say that I wasn't following trends, I was emulating stuff that I saw that I liked and then trying to make it mine. And one thing that really, really helped me along my journey was listening to feedback. And I read something recently from one of our Rogue family members, um, Corey, actually, Corey's newsletter, um, how he's been listening to feedback about his work, and it's been helping him discover who he is and what he really likes composition-wise. And, like, discovering that um, essentially what he's doing with his birds is, like, glamour shots for birds, where the lighting and composition are very, like, dramatic and well-composed. I love Corey's birds. Me too. And I love that Corey was thinking in that way um, of, like, oh, so, okay, so based on this feedback that I've gotten, like, actually, this is what I'm doing and this is why I love it. And that's a thing that develops over, like, a lot of time. So it's not a crime to emulate what you see out there that you like as you're developing your voice. Most definitely. But I think always be um, observing and making note of what you really like. I designed pieces early on that weren't my personal taste. I did it for the sake of learning a skill or as an experiment just to see what it would look like or to see what would happen. And it was like, okay, I did this once and I'm probably not going to do this again kind of thing. But even that is part of refining that process until you start to really find your voice. So if you're a fledgling artist who's still discovering yourself, don't take this as a you need to be in a bubble kind of podcast. I think that's the distinction I'm making. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's important to make that distinction because when I say, like, in the beginning, be aware of it, I'm not saying don't take any commission that you feel uncomfortable with because, in all honesty, you're going to feel uncomfortable with every single commission. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the only time really that in the very beginning, because I wasn't really sure. So if somebody came to me and they were like, I would like this beach scene, I didn't know if I liked painting it or not. So right? you were like, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I had an idea. But after doing <laughs> after doing a few of them, I was like, I really don't enjoy this. And at that point, that's when I really thought about like, okay, do I want to keep doing this? Sure, it's going to be easy for me to build that side of the business. But where is this going to lead me in 10 years? Right. And, once- and that's that's. And that's one of the things that you want to really think about um, when you're doing it. I'm not saying don't don't take a commission. There's going to be some commissions that really, like, you know. You know, I had somebody come up to me and ask me for a really, really dark, and I, I don't mind dark art, but a really dark, <clears throat> mentally dark commission that I just, I could not get behind. So I immediately said no. But 
the first time that somebody came to me and said, the first time somebody came to me and said, would you do the Pensacola beach ball? I said, no, because I was like, I know for a fact that that's not what I, I want to do about that. Yeah. And that's so it's in a way sometimes making a choice between what's immediately lucrative and what's long-term sustainable. Right. So for me, it was like, oh, we'll just do pearls on leather. Like that's what people like around here. It was we were very in- popular. There was a lot of artists doing pearls on leather. And so like, yes, I could have like created a lucrative business doing that and tried to set myself apart from the other jewelers doing pearls on leather in different ways. But like, I knew that that wasn't really what inspired me even early on. Um, and, and if you do follow your internal compass, then you get to a place where when somebody says to you, just create whatever you want to create, then that is like the best thing you've ever heard Yeah, because you know who you are. Exactly. And then you're stoked about it. Right. But it, but it takes a while to get there. And mm-hmm. it's, I think that that's also one of those things where it's important to make the distinction here that when you're getting started, your mentality and the way that you feel and your confidence is going to be different than later on, right? You're not, you're going to constantly be evolving. I think a lot of us fall into the trap that we think the way that I feel right now is how I'm going to feel forever. We do think that. And that's just not how it's going to be. You're going to grow and evolve. So if right now you're like, no, you know, I feel kind of weird about that. That doesn't mean that forevermore you're going to feel weird about that. You got to you got to face those challenges. It's kind of like Clover says, commissions are hard for me, even if it's in my style and I'm excited. Commissions always and forever present challenges. I feel like no matter how seasoned you are, like commissions still make you sweat a little bit every yeah. time. Um, Dan said, I've been guilty of commissioning pieces like that. I want a piece of your art, not your implementation of my ideas. And that is a perfectly awesome thing to say to an artist who has footing enough to know who knows what their art looks like. Exactly. And even if they're a fledgling artist who's got a pretty clear direction, that's a perfectly awesome thing to say to an artist. And honestly, it's the artist's job, really, depending on where they're at in their career, to say, I'm comfortable with that or I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. And just to be totally open and communicative about it. But honestly, now I'm stoked when people come to me with that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you um, used to freeze in the beginning whenever somebody was like, just, just, just I want to see your style. And, and in the back of your <laughs> mind, I know you were like, I don't even know what the F that is. And also money was a factor too, because it was like, well, do you want to spend like $30 or like a thousand dollars? You know, like, what do you, <laughs> that's one of the things that I always come up when somebody's like, just your style. And I'll be like, well, what size do you want? And what's your budget? Yeah. I always ask, you know, and that's the thing, like. When you are working in your style and you're taking a commission, you do have to talk money up front. Communication is the communication key. Communication is the key. And I know that for a lot of people, it's like the, the money conversation is hard to have. But honestly, the more you have it, the, the easier it gets. Get the money conversation out of the way. And I've had so like I've had the uncomfortable situation where I'll be like, OK, well, what's your budget range? Um, and the customer would be like, mm, I don't know. Right. And so then I'm like, okay, well, we need to like at least have some pretty general bookends. Right. Do you want, you know, do you want it in the hundreds or the thousands? (laughs) It's like a jumping off point. Right. Um, And then just kind of whittle it down from there. But not to get too far off topic. I just wanted to make that distinction between like 
finding your voice and emulating things and learning about yourself versus chasing trends. Yeah. And Shan Chan said social media pressures you to create trends to get clicks. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's because social media is a, they see, they've positioned themselves as a marketing platform. For example, Facebook, Instagram, all of those, the way that they're making their money is from people paying for ads and you have to take that out of it. The whole marketing trend that's out there uh, is just completely asinine. It's all about getting popular really fast. People want to get Instagram famous. And that's what these platforms are pushing. But you could survive on that platform as long as you ignore all the crap, right? You could survive on that platform by just posting at your Steam, you know, what you want to post and just let your people find you. Don't worry about becoming Instagram famous or any of that stuff. Don't let social media pressure you into anything. That's the same as being in a neighborhood with other artists or like people that are like, you know what? You, yeah, like in Pensacola, I was approached by my uncle. It was like, you know what you need to do to make money? You need to be painting Pensacola beach scenes and the uh, beach ball and sell that to the tourists. And I'm like, that's, that's a great business model for you. Why don't you go ahead and open a, up an art business and do that? That's not what I want to do. And let's just interject this in here also, because this would have been true if you had chased that trend. And if I had chased trends, that will lock you. Like, let's say you're in a tourist area and you're doing that, right? Then that locks you in, Right. Because how are we going to move to Pennsylvania oh. with a career that's built on doing beach um, scenes, Gulf Coast tourist <laughs> <laughs> like, art? Like basically, like my my top selling artwork is all the Pensacola Beach Ball, and then we want to move, and it's like then we're trapped. It's like, well, if we move, this is really going to take a dent. It's going to dent our our business. So that's something to consider. Also, there's definitely nothing wrong with celebrating the specialness of no. the region you no. live in. No, um, but I think that maybe don't make it your entire identity unless you know for sure for sure that you're going to reside there <laughs> and that's the thing i don't i don't want to criticize artists that do that right because there's a coolness factor there's a coolness factor to it and your your you know if you enjoy doing it if you can find enjoyment in doing it then you're capitalizing on something that's already popular in the area and that's great my whole thing is don't allow yourself to get trapped as that's your business, right? I always kind of looked at myself with the title. When I was doing signs, for example, they were very popular. People liked my signs. They wanted to buy them. And I thought to myself, do I want to be known as the sign guy? I don't want to be known as Rafi, the artist sign guy. Like, that's just not what I want to be known. And uh, after doing it for a few weeks, I hated doing signs. So even though it was popular, I dropped it off even though it was making me money, I dropped it off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I wean, I had to wean myself off because you also have that money mentality. That's like, yeah, but it's, hey, this is a stupid, for me, it was always like, I have to tell my family who is very money oriented that this thing that is making money, 
you're not going to do I'm it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And they're going to be like, what are you, stupid? You know, mm-hmm. so like I had the same inner voices in my own head. And you are going to have people come out of the woodwork that like knew you did this thing and they're going to want it. And it is going to be hard to say no. We both went through that. You yeah. signed me with, um, I was doing magnetic jewelry like really early Magnetic on. jewelry, yeah. Um, and when I tried to get away from it, it was like wading through molasses. Um, Diane said, in the beginning, you have to imitate to learn the ropes. Once you reach a certain point, you naturally travel in your own direction. You see similarities in styles and subjects. Yeah, mm-hmm. Diane, I mean, basically, if you if you see something and you're like, wow, that's freaking awesome, like the use of colors, or I like the texture that they did. For me, it was the texture that they did with Drip. Uh, Jackson Pollock, when I went to the Museum of Contemporary Art and I got to stand in front of a Jackson Pollock, it was the drip texture and the the cigarette butts and like stuff like that that were in the the painting and i was like this is amazing like i love this now i wasn't going to go out and create a jackson pollock but then it was experimenting with that style experimenting with that technique experimenting with different things mm-hmm. and eventually you really you really start to gravitate towards the things that you like and it's it's an amalgamation of all these different things that you that you love or that you really enjoy creating over the years. Yeah, essentially if you think of yourself as a crucible, right? Like you're taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in and that and you are melding that stuff together in a way that is unique to you that no one else can because they don't have your life experience and your perspective. You're the crucible. So like what comes out, like whatever ingot you produce is going to be special to you and the more times you the more you take notice of what you like and appreciate the more resources you're going to be putting into your your data pool your crucible to blah out your uniqueness (laughs) and i just wanted to touch on the social media thing right because i think it's safe to say that anything that's algorithm based which is everything pretty much on the internet is gonna make you feel a little bit like you need to follow the trends because that's simply how algorithms work. They're designed yeah. to pick up on what people are clicking on or interacting with and they want to feed you more of that. And that works great for how social media is set up um, to deliver content to people that they already like. And obviously the built-in thing there that it it's harder for people to discover things that they don't yet know that they like because algorithms are, are kind of good at recommending similar, right? If you like this, you'll like this kind of thing. So even if you're like this adjacent, right? This is the case in music. um, You might get some traction there. But if you're like out do like if you're like out in the wilderness doing like wholeheartedly your own thing that no one's ever heard before, it's it's got to be understood that it's going to take longer for people to discover you yeah. because algorithms won't be able to grab your stuff and say that it's like X, Y, and Z or X, Y, and Z adjacent. Yeah. I mean, that's the same way that it works on YouTube. Like mm-hmm. you got to think about it. Like you're posting a video and then you get discouraged and, you know, maybe you post five videos, you get discouraged and you start posting less videos and stuff. And in all honesty, it's not even a, a, until you get up to like a hundred videos that the algorithm really starts to understand who your audience is. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at online, that's why I say it doesn't matter what the response rate is. Just post your stuff. Just post your stuff. Keep a record of this awesome journey that you have and take the algorithm. Let 
don't work for the algorithm. Let the algorithm work for you by you giving it that data pool that it needs in order to be able to establish more of this is who we're, especially when you're putting artwork out there that hasn't been seen yet, you know, your own style. My art is Rafi art. That's what I've promoted for years, Mm -hmm. Rafi art. There's nothing like it. Sure, there's artwork that's similar to it, but the algorithm's not going to know that. You know, it's, it's not for a long not time. Not for a long time. Uh, Shan Chan said, I have two emails asking me to work on comic projects about none of my work like that. <laughs> it's so hard to say no, that is not me. It can I, be difficult. It can be. But but the more you do it, the better you get practiced at it. Mm-hmm. Saying, you know, I, I really think that this project is awesome. Um but honestly, it's not it's not really in line with my with what I want to do. It's hard to say no to people, especially like especially if there's even remotely a little connection with them. Right. Like they're your friend on social media um, and like you want to help them out, too. Right. Because it's not always just about the money either. I've had commissions that I've had to turn down where I'm like, I really kind of want to do this for you, but it's just like not my jam and like saying that can feel like sad sometimes like no I can't do this for you but ultimately understanding like you're better off and they're better off if they find a better fit exactly exactly and one of the things that you have to really do in that situation is say you know I'm not going to come in and be the white knight that saves this person's project like no matter what, nobody's going to come in and help me with my projects or promote my projects and put it out there. There might be people that offer or even if I go to somebody and I say, hey, I have this cool project. I'd love for you to be a part of it. And at the end of the day, that project needs to move forward with or without them. So that's that's one of the things that I look at when people approach me with stuff because if if there's a lot of pressure on me, you know, and it's like this project can't happen without you. And we've been we've been approached by people that are like that, even friends that are like that, that this won't happen without you because you're an integral part. And it's like, dude, this is your project. Mm-hmm. Like, that's actually just you. a coercion tactic. I love you and I want to support you in this. But this is your project. This is not this has nothing to do with me. Um Marty said, I remember going to Citywide Art Fair for years in Portland, Maine, and it was refreshing to visit booths that didn't have lighthouses, lighthouses, lighthouses. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, that was one of the things that I looked at for at the market, right? Because a lot of people were like, Pensacola Beach scenes, this is what's popular and this is what sells. And I actually talked about this in the last video. Where, like, I walked the market and I was looking around and everywhere I said, beach scene, beach scene. Every artist had one. I was like, yeah, no wonder it's selling. Like, that, there's nothing else for people to buy. But people would say, like, oh, thank God it's not beach scenes. Yeah. And, they would, and look, there's nothing wrong with lighthouses either. No. I want to make that no. clear. If like, you if love you, painting lighthouses. that If that is your jam... That is awesome, but if you hate painting lighthouses and you're doing it because you're like, that's what people buy, then really check yourself. There's a lighthouse that exists out there that I painted. Because it's cool. It was one of my first commissions, and after I painted it, I mean, it was cool. After I painted it, I was like, I don't want to paint lighthouses. Yeah, like good experience, but... (laughs) Yeah. um, Dan said, uh, I, I looked up the Pensacola Beach Ball... It's no wonder you wouldn't want to paint that. It's an ugly water tower. Lol. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very excited about painting the 
the Pensacola Beach doll, that ball. It's it's a water tower. And I was like, yeah. Uh, Diane said, every time I've made things that were popular, I got stuck with items that I truly hated. And I've now learned to look <laughs> inward for inspiration and trust my design ideas more and have better results. That's so true, Diane. That is so true. In the beginning, when I thought that you had to jump, you know, because, like, I went through the same process that a lot of artists go through, which is, like, what sells? Like, what's the thing that's popular? And, you know, getting pulled in so many different directions because landscapes are popular. Nudes are popular. Abstracts are popular. Basically, anything that you point out has people that buy it. And, you know, all of them are, are popular. But you get you get so narrow-minded that you look at something you're like oh well this person's selling a lot of those so that must be what's popular and then you find yourself with a bunch of things that you created simply because you thought that they were going to be popular there's no heart and soul in it right so it's one of the first things that i think about is that's the benefit of creating what you create which is your own authentic expression that means that your artwork has a deeper connection like it means something, right? Even if you're not sure what it means, it means something because you created this thing that you wanted to create. And it's coming from a real place. And it's coming from a real place. And because it's coming from a real place, you don't mind having it on your wall and other people are going to feel something different from that. And you're going to have an easier time talking about it, yes. right? Imagine trying to talk about a piece that you just created because you thought you could sell it versus a piece you created because you were really excited about it. Like, I don't have to elaborate on this. Well, you're not going to be authentic, right? Unless you're standing there and you're like, honestly, I just created those because I thought they were popular and they would sell. Do you want to buy it? Like, that would be being authentic, right? There's no story behind it. You could come up with some bullshit story, but it's it's all going to be fake. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so right off the bat, like that coming from that real place, you are going to be able to draw um, and ha- and have conversations about it, even if, like Rafi said, even if you're not sure what what it means in the beginning, and even if you have to sit with it after it's done and be like, why why did I make this? Why do I like this? Why why am I drawn to this? Yeah. Um, which is a great thing to do. And I I can't believe how much pushback I get. Whenever I say that, like, you know, I think it's the word story that really people push back at because they're like, well, I don't have a story. And I'm like, just look at the piece and ask yourself, why did I create this? And what do I like about it? What do I like about this? And that's it. You know, that's it. Then from there, you come up with this. You have your story on why it is that you created the piece. Even if while you created it or before you created it or after you create it, you're like, I have no idea. I just like it. Then it's just going a little bit deeper and asking yourself why you like it. Um, it doesn't have to be deep. A lo- so like going, going a little bit deeper as far as why do I like this? You know, because for me, I paint sunflowers because I think they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. When I go a little bit deeper, I'm like, well, it's cool. Sunflowers face the sun and all that stuff. And I love yeah. that. Whatever. But at the end of the day, I'd be happy telling somebody, like, I paint sunflowers because they're beautiful. Yeah. You know? I uh, there I have a wire work setting for crystals that I call my cathedral setting or my lantern setting, which was not actually inspired by jewelry at all. It was inspired by the way that light comes through stained glass windows or even regular windows, the, the way that the light passes through. 
it makes me feel peaceful. And it reminds me of being a kid and like quietly playing in my grandmother's house with the light coming in through these windows that were overhead. Would you watch the dust? I would watch the dust. Like just come through the, the sunbeam? For a long time. For, me too. Me too. And I then just... you, would, you could like blow into the dust and watch it move. There is a sense of peace there. And so I was trying to replicate that sense of peacefulness with this wire setting that sort of emulates light passing through a stained glass window or a lantern through the crystal with these metal filigree designs around it. Right? That's the meaning. That's what I'm trying to get out of it. Um, And for me, I'm like, that's good enough. If that resonates with somebody else, that's awesome. If not, that's totally cool. But that's the story. And that's the thing, though. In my mind, I'm like, when I hear that story, there's something deep and personal about Mm -hmm. that. Maybe not to you or you don't make that connection. But I feel like that's that's it. That's that's all there is to it is because you tell that story and then it resonates with my childhood and experiencing the same thing, mm-hmm. right? If somebody doesn't didn't experience that as a kid, then... Then they won't resonate. They're not going to resonate. And chances are they wouldn't resonate with the artwork to begin with. Right, right. Cameron said, experiment, emulate, keep stuff you like, and trash the stuff you don't. And the combination of learning what you love is your style. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And I should also add to this about the cathedral setting that the wire work technique, right, in of itself was a learned technique that I emulated. I took a style of wire work and I changed it and made it into what I wanted and needed it to be, right? So I could tell that story. Right. Well, I really like Viking knit and wire and I wanted to see what I could do with it that was different. And so I did this and it's different. And there you go. (laughs) So but as you see, there's the emulation of a technique that I resonated with. And then there's the changing the technique because I like stained glass windows aspect of it. Right. And which one's more interesting? Well, the story. People people resonate and remember stuff because of the story that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the other way of talking about it, you might as well be a school textbook. Like, mm-hmm. that's just, that's, that's boring. You're not going to retain that information. Uh, Artist Haven said, yep, I'm stupid, crazy, and full of dreams, but I'm living life, not just surviving. That's my take on... The are you stupid taunt. Too many years of my life spent surviving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, watching likes coming in is like watching a pot boil, said Hokey Scott. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, better to no, just... I, I don't even think about the likes, you guys. Just my my entire model of social media is I post what I want to post, what I want to remember, what I want to be able to easily go back and search for. That's it. That's what I post. And other people like it. And it's cool because the people that do like it, I get to share stuff with them. But as far as like waiting for, that's the problem is like everybody wants it to be a big number. And I'll tell you from experience, no matter how big that number gets, it's never enough if that's what you're focused on. I almost burst into song just then. (laughs) And you're always going to feel like you're just not good enough. You're not getting the reach that you want. You're always going to feel like a failure on there. Celebrate the fact that you have one like. Anything more than one like is freaking bonus. 
Like, it's freaking bonus. Chan Chan said, I often have people tell me that my art is too girly and cutesy or something. I just say not everyone sees the world as full of crap like you. (laughs) I love it, Chan Chan. Right, and it's like, it's it's whatever your aesthetic is. Your art is too cutesy. If you, like, I... That's ridiculous. I really love cute stuff. Like, I would say that I am a bit of a collector of cute stuff. Especially this stuff here. Cute stuff. Nice. Nice. I like that. Thank, um, you. Thank you. And people who don't <laughs> like cute stuff, then they're not going to like the cute or, or whatever, however they define it, right? Your art might not even be girly or cutesy. It just might be someone's interpretation. Yeah. And at the, of end, of, at the end of the day, like, what is cute stuff? You know, like, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's some people are going to, oh, that's cute. You know. I had someone say to me, actually, um, that I'm an anomaly. Like, oh, I didn't know you like girly stuff. Like, because I make jewelry um, and because I like floral patterns on things. And I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah, because Clee's not girly. <laughs> but I am. But she like, is. It depends on how you define girly. I mean, it's kind of silly when you start breaking it down. That's like me. I'm not manly, but I am, you know? (laughs) I also had someone say, um, and they meant it as a compliment, I released a collection in a group show, and um, one of my uh, associates in the jewelry world said, this is nice, like you've dialed in um, your aesthetic and this collection looks really expensive. And I said, thank you, because I knew what that person meant. And my response was, well, thank you. But, you know, I'm really I really am starting to zero in on what I love. Exactly. And I love the way that light passes through things. And that whole collection was based on I love the way that light passes through crystals and things. Um, And and so it can be interpreted in so many ways. Like, thank you for saying it looks expensive. Thank you for saying, you know, whatever. Um, But ultimately, like you defining what you're doing is the most important thing. The fact of the matter is that a lot of times when people give you a compliment, it's not going to sound like a compliment. I've been I've been told the same. I've been told something similar where it's like, wow, you're finally starting to really dial in your your technique, your art technique. And, of course, in my mind, you know, verbally I say thank you. In my mind, I'm like, motherfucker, I've been dialing in my technique for years. I mean, in my case, I was genuinely flattered because I knew what that person meant. And I did feel like I was finally coming into my own in that moment. And I also thought that it was fine that I didn't really know for, like, almost 10 years what what my voice was like. Jenny said, I have the problem. I don't think it's a problem. I say to nearly everything. Say no to nearly. Say no to nearly everything. If it's not intuitive feeling, then I just say no. A slow road, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's a problem, Jenny. That's not a problem at all. I think that I I would have done myself a great service by just following my gut early on a lot more than I did. Um, and I have no regrets, but I think like I've really grown to trust my gut feelings even more nowadays. And as time has gone on, Tyler said, I stopped doing abstracts a while ago after an art retrospective in a local magazine. My dad looked at it and said, I wish you'd do more figures. This is just color. It doesn't represent anything. (laughs) Tyler, I'm laughing because my dad, I still do abstracts. I love doing abstracts. 
Every time my dad would walk into my studio and see an abstract, he would say in his thick Cuban accent, you're still doing those paintings about nothing? <laughs> and I'd be like, yes, dad, I still do these paintings about nothing. And that's okay because Rafi's dad likes horses and nude figuratives. Yes. Yeah. So Tyler, your dad likes figure drawings, doesn't understand abstracts. And I tell my dad, yes, I'm doing abstracts. I get it. You don't understand it. That's fine. I think Kelly had said earlier, like, what about nude abstracts? And I thought, like, naked abstracts would actually be a really fun series. That would be fun. I actually did some based on uh, Picasso style. You remember those? I did four of them. I only did four of them. I do Cause, recall. Because after I was done, I was like, I don't know how I feel about these. These are, these are, these are like way out there, right? <laughs> and I think the reason I felt, because it was early on, so like I created these. I was like, yeah, these are going to be so cool. And then I showed them at the market and like nobody paid attention to them. And then I got really insecure about them. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about these. And I think it was later on, like, I actually hid them. I wouldn't take them out to the market or to any shows because I was like, oh, people hate these because I got no response on it. Which, by the way, is bullshit. Like, that's not how it works. If people don't notice something, it's because people just don't notice it that day for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then there was another show maybe like a year later where I didn't have enough artwork. And so I brought them. And just put one up, right? I had the other three in a bin. And that one sold right away. And then I put the other one up. And then that one sold. And I sold all four of them at this show. And it, it was like one of those things where it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. When you're showing your artwork out there, it's great because you're doing your market research or whatever. And you're doing a social experiment with your art to see how people respond. But at the end of the day, you got to realize like, Everyone is different. You can't really, it's not a group mentality. Like everyone's different. You have no idea who's going to come into that show or that into your booth during that, that particular show. It doesn't, doesn't matter how many people show up. Mm -hmm. uh, Gail said, I have a motto. I create for the other world where magic lives. It works. And I see it in everything I create. Oh, I really I like that. that. I love that, Gail. I love that. Chan Chan said, Oakley, I love that too. And also shapes and clouds. Shapes and clouds, yep. I, you know, I love like taking note of those things. I love cloud watching as well. And people have asked me a lot, like what, what jewelers inspire me? Like what jewelry artists inspire me? And I do follow some jewelry artists, um, but I don't really draw my inspiration from jewelry. It comes from other places like nature and paintings. And um, is that interesting? It's the same thing as art. Like with art, people are people will ask me like, "What artists inspire you?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't, you know." Yeah, I don't it, like if I am inspired by an artist, it's because of their persistence. Right. The fact that they did it for 20 years mm -hmm. before they became famous or something like that, like that. Those are the things that inspire me. But their artwork is their artwork. Like, you know, I I get inspired by combinations of colors that I might see in artwork, but it's the same combination of colors that I'll see in nature or in something else. Mm -hmm. And it could be a, it could be a scene in a movie that I'm like, oh, wow, I love the way that that's. You know, the shadows on her face are really awesome. I want to do a picture like that and then, or a painting like that. And I'll be like, Clea, I need you to pose for me. And I'll set up lighting and all that stuff. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, but inspiration you get inspired by things and it could be anything. It could be artwork or anything else in life. And you take, you take from life, the things that you really enjoy, the things that really resonate with you. And that's why I feel like those things will also resonate with others. There are going to be other people out there. I would say that the second thing, right? There's a lot of things, but one of the, one of the important things of staying authentic and staying real and creating what you want to create is, just your own personal fulfillment like definitely your personal fulfillment and with that comes the longevity and dedication to your art career right persistence comes from that if you're doing something that you love and you can really emotionally stand behind because it's yours it's what you want to create um it's easy to keep doing that versus yeah can you imagine if i was doing like a bunch of beach scenes and i didn't enjoy doing it and then they weren't selling it's a disservice to yourself as an artist, and it's a disservice to anyone who might see your art or collect it. Um, it would be like going to a Michelin star restaurant where the head chef didn't give a shit about food. Yes, like, it, it why really would is. you? Why would you be a <laughs> chef if you? Or like, why would you be a chef that creates vegan food if you're not a vegan? Right? Yeah. Like, why would you? Why would you do that? You do a disservice to yourself and everyone who comes into contact with your art if you're not creating what you want to create. Exactly. Diane said creating the art you want requires a certain degree of trust in yourself. That can be the toughest hurdle to overcome. And I, I agree. I agree. And I think that with time and really being aware, being aware that that's where you want to get to, right? Because mm -hmm. what's easy is to be trapped by your own mind by the voices in your head telling you that you suck or that you're never going to accomplish this or this isn't what sells and seeing that as a truth, you know, and uh, Marty says it's helping me with self-talk as I get specific saying what I like about others' paintings and my own. Yeah. Like the color, the splatters, the brush strokes, the humor, it's helping me focus as I go. Absolutely. That's, that's a really great way of putting it, Marty, where you focus on what you love. I love there with every painting that I do. There are aspects of it that I'm like, mm, I could improve that. And then there are aspects of it that I really, really love. Mm -hmm. And that's what I focus on. And that's what I talk about. Right. Because the more you verbalize something, the more that you talk about it, the more it becomes uh, a reality, not to sound airy fairy, but the more that it becomes reality, the more you establish it. The reason that you have a lot of negative self-talk is because you spent years establishing that, that complete and utter bullshit. And so you, it's switching it around and, and talking about your art in a different way versus allowing yourself to just berate yourself, berate the art that you create. So it's, I love that, Marty. Yeah, me too. It's easy to say, um, like, well, who the hell am I, right? I don't know anything, and so my art sucks. Yeah. And so why would I be a pioneer if I don't if I don't trust myself? And, and that's a thing that you build over time. Yeah. You don't have to wait to trust yourself. Because uh, if I could go back and tell my former self anything – um, I would be like, your jewelry is actually a lot better than you think it is. 
early version of me. And you're going to look back at your portfolio and you're going to realize that you were really creative before you knew too much. And now that you have lots of skills, you're trying to go back and like tap into some of those things that you were doing before. And so trust that like these weird ass pieces that you're making are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they really are pretty cool. All the, all the experiments, all the, the stuff, when I look at uh, some of the earlier work, and I've I've made it a point to really allow myself to get back into that experimental stage to do things that are going to push me outside of my own comfort zones. That's the reason that we do the Collab Lab mm-hmm. on the Rogue Artist community, because it's giving you parameters that are going to push you outside of your comfort zone. There are some people that that is outside of that. They're like, I don't know. I can't. No, no, no. That's too hard for me. And that's fine. But it's in pushing outside of those comfort zones where you're experimenting and you're playing around and you're taking these parameters and you're creating something from it within your own style, even if you don't know what your style is, really pushes you to understand that like that amateur creativity is powerful powerful picasso spent a lifetime trying to tap into that after no you know learning the techniques of how to how to do something so don't you know yeah if you're able to go back in time or if you're in that position now understand that your 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 stuff is amazing and it's unique and just grow and evolve from there. And as a result of that, like you're in your laboratory doing your crazy art experiments and seeing what comes out of it, you will always be ahead of the bell curve. Always. Even if it feels like you're existing in a bubble in the void of space, it's ahead of the bell curve. That's built in. When you're experimenting and innovating, you're always ahead of the bell curve, meaning AI and copycats and all the things that people worry about They're behind are you. far behind you because you're constantly innovating. By the time they catch up, you're going to be on to the next thing. And that's that brings me to the other really important reason on why it's important to create. And this is why I will fight people to the death, to the pain. I will fight people to the <laughs> to pain. To the pain. Um, is innovation and progress. You know, if you're just doing what's popular, you're not innovating. You're not progressing. Uh, The art world, every single art movement that we know of was innovative, was because it was brand new. It wasn't what everybody was seeing out there that was popular. And people hated it, right? The art world, I should say, hated it. People that ran across the art loved it. But the art world hated it because they didn't know how to measure it up against anything else. And that's the myth that a lot of artists fall into when they're starting out. Because you go to the market, you're showing your art, nobody's really paying attention because they don't, you don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how to label my art other than Rafi art. Like there's no, what is abstracts? Is it figurative? Is it this? Is that like, there's nothing out there that really I could, I do create abstracts in a, in an abstract style. And I do create in this style, but really at the end of the day, how, how am I able to describe all my art? That's one of the reasons that I fall. I have such a hard time with marketing programs because it's like, they're like, what niche do you fall into? And what do I don't fall into a niche? 
Thus, I need to create my own. And the only way that I'll create my own is if I persist and I keep putting it out there. And that's how innovation and progress works, right? If the impressionists put their artwork out there and, you know, if one of the first impressionists put his artwork out there and listen to the experts in the art field saying, well, that's not, that's, that's not even good. That's blah, blah, blah. And they just stopped. There'd be no impressionist movement, right? Other artists wouldn't be inspired by this new, you know, like, holy shit, that's really cool. I want to see what I could do with this. And I want to see what I could do. And then it becomes a movement. And that's, that's the thing. And if you're the four, you're the one that started it, then you started the trend. You started the movement. And by the time other people are on that trend, you're already moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And if you want to at least find some descriptor for your work, right? Rafi art, <laughs> glee jewelry. Um, like I, I had a desire to like understand uh, what I'm doing in a concise way. So I kind of came up with something that worked for me, right? Which was, well, I'm kind of creating magical artifacts, like that would be the concise way that I would describe my jewelry. I'm kind of creating magical personal talisman for people. Yeah. That's how I look at them. And when you look at them, like they could be a thousand years old or they could be like a year old. You're not sure. Cause that's the aesthetic that I like. So find like a classification that works for you that also helps you understand what you're doing that's fun, right? Like, I'm making art for the magical side of life. Like uh, Gail had said, I believe Gail said. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm creating magical artifacts. And that's the thing. You have your, uh, mine is uh, dynamic, dynamic depictions. depictions. Dynamic depictions of the human experience. Mm -hmm. That is my experience, right? Whether it's an abstract, it's the way that I see the world, whether it's figurative, it's, it's maybe saying something through that dynamic expression of the human body. And so it, it covers, it covers what I do, but it's really good. I love that having a mantra that really symbolizes what it is that you do out there in the world. And that can be really fun. So like, don't let it stress you out. Like you have to get it. No, right no, whatever. make it fun. Make it fun. Um, and it can change too, as yeah. you evolve. Diane said, I found myself revisiting my earlier pieces and reworking some of them to bring them up to the level of, I love this thing. The early pieces meant something. I'm just now realizing the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's there, awesome. And there are some, there are some that I've done that too, where like I've had it for a while and then, because, you know, they they mean something. There are some of my earlier pieces that I will not touch, right? And then there are some of the earlier pieces that when I look at, I'm like, eh. And so those will change. I still love them, but then there's something that maybe I'm missing, that I want to I wanna do the same thing. Maybe not bring them up to whatever my skill is, but just my eye and the way that I've changed over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, so I love that. And it's something that I recommend to everybody. If you have a, a work of art that, that is done and you're like, uh, I, I kind of wish it was, I wish this was different about it or whatever. I recommend just changing it. You know, I've done that with pieces that I've listed on the website. I take them down. I redo, you know, I, yeah, I change something on it and then I relist it. 
So yeah, I, I love that, Diane. Thanks for sharing that. Tambo said, if you're not the lead elephant, your view never changes. Exactly. <laughs> Jenny, exactly. Jenny said, I gotta say, Colab Lab is my favorite. I love to have a title first and then do the work second. And that is so exciting to me, like a good sizzling in my brain. Uh, I love that, That's Jenny. That's fun. I like that, Jenny. That's really cool. Um, and for all of you listening who don't know what Colab Lab is, um, it's a monthly art challenge that we do with our online community yeah. um, that, that does push you to experiment and play. Cameron said, go look at the color red and see what it represents. Definitely not nothing. Cameron, the thing about it is that like some people, some people when they look at stuff, right, everybody has a different way of viewing the world. And so like when I, with, with my dad, my dad needs figurative. He needs something that explains the art. Um, and that's because the way he sees the world, he's not going to sit there and really stare at a work of art right and really try and get that feeling from it so when it comes to abstracts you know when he says that you're still doing those paintings about nothing i know that in his world those are paintings about nothing he's not the demographic that i sell my abstracts to <laughs> and that's okay and, and that's okay it's endearing in yeah. a way like um dan said I don't understand abstracts. My wife, on the other hand, loves them. That's part of why I love her. <laughs> That's great, Dan. And that is cool, right? You can not even like fully like the same things, but you can like share in the appreciation um, of the things with your person or a friend or a colleague or whoever. Uh, Rafi and I had fun uh, digging into the life of Rothko because Rothko's paintings made no sense to me oh, when me I first looked upon them. I was like, these are giant rectangles. Me what neither. Is this about? I, I like, you know, and I, and I love art, but I was like, screw, you know, and also I started my art career and it was one of those things where you look at artists that are famous and you're like, his stuff is shit. You know, like, that's not even good. It's just a square within a square. Like <laughs> how dumb is that? And, uh, yeah, and I don't like feeling that way. I don't like feeling that way. No, we, we um, like to learn. That. I am not a fan of artists that put down other artists' work. Like, I am not. No. Not understanding work or not liking work is a prime opportunity to learn more about the work. And we don't have time to learn everything there is to know about every work of art that's out there. So, you know, pick and choose. But um, I think because Rothko was like a fun um, delving for us and discovering like what the motivation was. Why was Rothko painting these giant rectangles? Um, and if you don't know, I'll leave that to you guys yeah. to uh, find out about. And But this is why the genuine story. And, and ge so not only was Rothko being super authentic, not creating work that would be popular, but there was a genuine reason and, and story there um, that made it authentic and then being able to relay that authentic story in a way that impacts people uh, makes a Rothko painting the powerful thing that it is. Exactly. And some people <laughs> will still look at it and be like, that's a painting about nothing. Yeah. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, I think that that's why it's important to understand like, what is, what is your story when it comes to the paintings? Not, and it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be any of that stuff, but it, it's understanding that like there's going to be artwork out there that people look at and are like, I don't get it. And that's fine. There's going to be people out there that look at the work and they're like, I don't get it. 
you know, what is this all about? I want to find out more. I've actually had people come into my booth that walked in. I was like, I don't get it. You know, what is this about? I want to find out more. I don't mind that at all because that's me. If I look at artwork and I'm like, I don't get it. Then I want to know what's the story behind us. What, why, what, what is this about? And you know, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be convinced at the end of it either. You know, if I, if I, I've seen work that I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And then I look up the story. I'm like, I still don't get it. You know, it's just, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. That's, it doesn't mean that it's bad art. It just means that it's not for me. And I think that when we're thinking about that for our own story, I think that this is one of the reasons that a lot of artists have difficulty with this is that they're thinking about what the other person's response is going to be. And at the end, when I'm saying tell your story, it's not for anybody else. Yeah, you have to be really detached from what you think people want to hear about your artwork and what the response is going to be. Yeah. It's, Most definitely. Because if you did that, then you wouldn't feel comfortable saying like, oh, I paint these because they're beautiful. I, I, this was, I saw these in my yard. I took a picture and I wanted to reproduce them in art. And look, it's a great story. Not to get too deep on you guys, but just as a general rule from somebody who spent the majority of their life, not just in creativity, but in life in general, overly concerned with what I thought people wanted to hear. It, it's paralyzing to to live your life that way, let alone subject your creative side to it. When you're worried about what you think people want to hear or what sounds smart or what sounds interesting, what happened to me was that I never said anything. I, I yeah. became closed off and afraid to speak. Uh, that's not the person that sits here doing these podcasts with you <laughs> these days, but... um. That was a paralyzing fear that needed to be dealt with in my life and my creative side. Stop worrying about what people want to hear. And I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why I really push like tell your story Mm -hmm. and authenticity because it can be paralyzing. If you're too worried about what other people think, it's paralyzing. This whole artist journey is about finding out who you are. Mm -hmm. It's all about you. Sorry. It's all about you. Sorry, not sorry. The artwork you create is all about you. You know, this is your growth experience. It's not about anybody else. Yeah. You know, there's going to be people out there that connect with you. But at the end of the day, you got to create what you want to create because this journey as an artist is your story. This is your story. That's that's fulfilling itself. You're on you're the one that's on the journey. And it really is. It really is all about you. And that's the sustainable thing to do when you want a lifelong career as an artist, which is kind of your last touch point here is like you if you want to do this for a lifetime make sure you recognize that it's about you knowing who you are your growth process as it unfolds what else could you possibly engage in that's going to be sustainable except your own evolution of who you are and how you express that boom that was perfect that was perfectly i can't even follow that up with anything so, uh, yeah. So at the end of the day, you guys create what you want to create. And just that last part, I would replay that, maybe create a clip of what Clee just said and just listen to that over and over. I think it's great. From somebody who used to be afraid of what people would think yeah. of what she would say. It's great. I love it. 
<laughs> so other than that, you guys, thank you so much. I want to thank the rogues for being here. You guys are absolutely freaking amazing, and I totally adore you. And for everybody listening to this at home, thank you so much for listening. Um, we have gotten so much feedback on these podcasts, and thank you. Thank you for the growing audience that we have on our podcast channel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, other than that, if you like this and you're listening to this for the first time, go ahead and click wherever it is that you need to click to subscribe or follow. And would you like to say goodbye, Clee? Good day. Adios.